Greetings, this is Cody, and you're listening to Cantus Firmus. We're talking with Scott Johnson, a minister, demonologist, and exorcist. Thanks for doing the podcast, Scott. I'm glad to have you here. It's awesome to be here. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your background prior to taking interest in this area of demonology? Well, um, I grew up as an atheist and then became a drug addict, drug dealer. Um, got to the point where I was so addicted to drugs, I cut off everyone from my life and um, was suicidal. Um, one night I cried out to every deity I could think of except Jesus. Um, and I prayed that I wouldn't wake up the next morning, which happened to be a birthday. I go to school the next day, college, Western Civilization class, a girl I had never seen before hands me a book uh, with a birthday wrapping, you know, it says happy birthday. Um, and that creeped me out. And so I opened the book. It's a book called The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. Hmm. Um, I saw it was a Jesus book. I throw it away. Um, then I wake, I take a nap on my parents' couch. I wake up the next, uh, later that evening, uh, maybe four or five hours. And I felt very compelled to get that book out of the trash. Um, did it. Uh, read the book in one night. I never read a book through in my life. Um, and then the next day I found a Bible in my house, which was also a miracle. Um, and read the Gospel of John, and it was just a wild experience that um, I knew right then and there. Um, I wasted my life, and I was supposed to be a preacher. I enrolled in Bible college two weeks later, started, and um, went to Ohio Valley University, and um, then I was a campus minister in Cincinnati, and now I am um, the senior minister at the Cross Point Church of Christ in Franklin, Ohio. So then... How did you transition from that to being interested in uh, demonology and, and sort of get into this exorcism field? Well, um, I've always had an interest in supernatural things, even though I was an atheist. It's weird how that worked, um, and I think that was part of God's plan. But, um, uh, you know, I was always interested in that. Then I watched all these ghost hunter shows and read all kinds of crazy uh, things about uh, witchcraft and, and different things, though I didn't really believe in it, but did. Um, I became a Christian, and I come from a faith tribe that is uh, primarily subscribed to the doctrine of cessation, meaning supernatural things don't happen anymore. Um, so um, a lot of things happened with people that I counseled and worked with, um, and I began seeing supernatural things and, and wondering what was going on. And I always knew Satan was always picking at people. Um, but I always tried to run away from it. That was kind of one of those things that if I don't think about it, it'll leave me alone. Um, so I find myself one night praying um, outside, actually, because it was in the summertime. I was sitting on my back porch. And it had been really strong in my conscience. And after reading a lot of books on the subject that God really wanted me to get into this. And I was like being Jonah. I was like, no, thank you. Um, not today. Uh, not ever. No, thank you. Um, and so I was praying and I said, God, if this is really what you want me to do, give me some, you know, confirmation, fleece it out here. And I open up my eyes and there are a bunch of black cats surrounding me. I do not own a black cat. No one around me did. And it freaked me out. So I was like, alrighty then. The next day, um, a friend of mine put me in touch not knowing this was going on and I not knowing this friend with a Catholic priest who was an exorcist. Um, I found out after talking to him that he offered this course uh, for people uh, that he taught um, just to give them knowledge about spiritual warfare, but it was pretty expensive. Okay, uh, He did it for a living on the side um, because his church just was not big enough to support him. So this was kind of a private endeavor. Hmm. Um, so I talked to him. I'm like, yeah, I can't afford it, and I have to drive an hour each way to get to it, and so it's just not. And so he's like, okay. Well, about two weeks later, he calls me, and he says, you know what? I, I've had dreams all this time, and the Lord has said, you've got to teach this guy this stuff, and for free. So I jumped on for about seven, eight months. Um, once a week, I would drive down to uh, Covington, Kentucky, and we'd meet in a small coffee shop. And this guy would just lay things out there and teach me what he had been taught um, in the Catholic Church and the Byzantine Church. And now he, he is a um, 
Orthodox. He's an Orthodox. Um, so he started out in the Catholic Church, um, mm-hmm. then kind of became convicted of a lot of things, and and now is a priest in the Orthodox Church. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, he just taught me all kinds of things, and we developed a great relationship. And you know, he's been on several uh, paranormal shows. He was on Ghost Adventures. Um, you know, and I'm not going to mention his name here with without his permission but you know he's uh always doing something in this area and that's kind of how it came about and my wife is still like why do you have to do this and i'm like i don't know but i have to mm-hmm. so that's that's how it works out not to be weird and esoteric so your anxiety about getting into the area was it more like seemed kind of scary or was it like all oh, this you know if i tell people i'm an exorcist they'll think i'm weird or what was yeah that? yes yeah um I remember talking to my friend who's the priest, and we were talking on the phone one night after uh, he was kind of reviewing and grilling me uh, on what I was learning and doing, and and um, I was like, look, man, I, I don't want my life to be like The Exorcist. Uh-huh. And he's like, well, it won't be, but you need to understand that God has put you in a place that, you know, he's he wants you to carry out this very important work, and no one else is going to do it but you because you are the one he's chosen. Um, And then I was like, is this Highlander? You know, there could only be one. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was terrified. Um, And I will not lie that every time this comes up, which, you know, where someone asks me to come help them in these situations, I'm still terrified. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, my anxiety about it, my running from it, comes from, you know, being scared. But um, I wouldn't change it you know it's 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 been an incredibly faith and confidence in god building thing for me and i think that uh, it's a special blessing when when i get to serve god in that capacity yeah it's very strong strengthening towards my faith yeah so you, you've been doing this for a while and, and what i would kind of ask is the question that I think anyone who's listening who might be kind of skeptical, mm-hmm. which is how can you tell genuine possession from mental or physical illness? And on top of that, maybe uh, when you read the exorcism accounts in the New Testament, do you think that they distinguish between the two, or do you think it's sort of a sort of a supernaturalistic pre-modern kind of <laughs> mumbo jumbo? I guess. Um, okay, so how do you distinguish? Well, let me. I that's. It's a difficult thing to do. Um, first off, I do believe, from my Greek understanding um, of the New Testament, that the Scripture does differentiate between physical illness, mental illness, and demonic possession. I mean, um, if you just translate the basic Greek, you can see the differentiation. Um, I do believe that there probably were some things that uh, were categorized as that that probably were mental illness. Um, you mean you mean in that era, or yes. by the not by the New Testament writers? Yeah, yeah, in that era, um, and even you know the Middle Ages is is infamous for, and then into the Puritans, uh, jumping ahead several centuries for every weird thing or foul odor or you know burp was the demons. Uh, you were touched by the devil, um, and so uh, there's a lot of myth, and, and we live in a culture that's you know extremely anti-Christian but in America might be perhaps the most spiritual culture we've ever had. Very interested in it, except not in Jesus. And so we have this these shows like Ghost Hunters and Ghost Adventures or Paranormal State or, you know, Ghost Hunters International or Long Island Medium or, you know, whatever the newest thing is. Um, and it's fascinating to people um, because it, it, it scratches an itch. The only problem with uh, with those shows, while they are entertaining, that's precisely what they are. They're entertainment. They are, they they give a lot of misconceptions about um, what happens in the spiritual realm. They do a lot of dumb things that are, and it's proven over and over again that they hoax. So, kind of one thing that I would do, that I maybe if you want to call it going public, as I have, is to help maybe correct some of those misconceptions. Um, because a lot of it is so ridiculous and lame that it actually gives the enemy a whole lot more foothold than it would normally. Um, so, you know, with those in line, uh, with all that in tow, I guess I would say, you know, mental illness, uh, physical illness are huge. Um, before I will work with anyone, um, I require that they get a mental uh, or a psychological evaluation. 
um, and a medical examination. I will provide pastoral counseling in the interim period. Um, and usually you will find pretty quickly that people who genuinely want and need the help will have already done that or will do it like in the next week. The people who are just trying to use that to not take responsibility or action for maybe a character flaw or a possible mental illness because of the stigmas associated with, um, those people will just go on till they find someone who tells them that they're possessed yeah. um, or they have some kind of spiritual problem. I don't play that game because that game is more dangerous uh, for people because you tell someone with a mental illness that they're possessed by a demon, you're going to get all kind of crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so psychologically, medically, there's a whole lot of things that could come into play. You know, and I require that. So, um, traditionally, there are in the writings of the early church and through the gospels and ascertained through different things through the very beginnings of the church, there are what's called the five levels of diabolical influence. And that sounds like a crazy metal band, right? Um, and so, um, the, the first level is what's called the ordinary um, level. And that is what every human being is subject to, and that being temptation. Okay, um, temptation, uh, according to scripture and understanding, is uh, the the tempting to do something you probably ought not do. Now, uh, does Satan pull the trigger and make you do it? No, um, but you can uh, pull that trigger and open up a whole thing, which all of us have sinned, so all of us do. Um, I don't know anybody who doesn't sin um, except Jesus, and. So temptation is common, and I think that's what Scripture says that it, when he's talking about Jesus in Hebrews, that there's no, um, you know, temptation that Jesus didn't face. And so um, the other four levels are what's called the extraordinary levels of diabolical influence. That's um, you move into what's called the obsession stage, where it becomes a a mental um, thing. Um, that's going on and then you move into the oppression stage where you're almost held prisoner to your own mind um, and then that opens up to the possession stage which is you know what Hollywood likes to pick on which is very rare by the way um, and then you have what's also called the infestation stage which is um, a lot more common and it, they don't necessarily have to go in that order that's just the traditional order that some guy somewhere wrote it down and everybody was like okay cool mm -hmm. It's easy to remember. Um, but just because a person is possessed doesn't mean that they have undergone this certain order of things other than temptation. Um, and so when you're asking the question, how do you tell if someone's, you know, possessed, um, it's a very difficult thing. Um, the actual percentage of people being possessed is so small worldwide. Um but then again, you have religious parts of American Christendom who have uh, more charismatic movements who find demons under every, every you know, burp or every, you know, spell of indigestion or every layoff that, you know, they'll cast out spirits of laziness or unemployment or curly hair or clogged drains, you know, and they, they, they want to emphasize things that aren't actually there. Um, and so... Uh, it takes quite a bit to find out if a person is possessed um, because demons don't want to be found. So it's almost like a lot of people, because of Hollywood, think this is just like a one shot. We'll walk in and figure this thing out. This can take years to figure out and address. And then it can take multiple sessions with a person to, um, to resolve the problem. Um, so that's my word vomit on that. <laughs> yeah, well, so, yeah, there's certainly, I guess, maybe Jesus isn't necessarily um, going to be a model of what happens normally because there are some instances where Jesus commands the demon right. in a moment. But there are also instances where he tells the apostles or the disciples that there are some demons mm -hmm. that don't go out except by prayer and fasting. Mm -hmm. And there's some, anyway, there, there's some suggestion even in the New Testament that it's not always a simple matter, right? Right. And, and Jesus is, Jesus, you know, almost all the demons in a lot of the passages say, what do you want mm -hmm. from me, son of God, you know? Um, so it's a little bit extra there because he is uh, the supreme ruler of them and has already judged them, and they don't want to be bothered by him until, you know, 
what do they say when he, in the the demoniac and the Gerasenes he throws in the pigs and they run off and kill all the pigs and everybody kicks Jesus out of town for doing that. Um, and, and they say, what do you want with us, uh, Jesus, son of God? Have you come to, to torture us and throw us into the abyss before the appointed time? Mm-hmm. So um, I think Jesus has a lot more recognition in that realm than, than anyone else. And so we have to take our time and try and understand what is is happening. And it's not always just something that is evident. I mean, there's so many factors um, that can go into it. And a lot of times it's purely psychological or a medical condition, even an allergy or, um, you know, just self-talk has gotten a person to this. And it's literally not a spiritual problem at all. I was interested in something you'd said earlier about um, how in popular entertainment there's a certain way that the demonic is presented mm-hmm. that's not necessarily healthy. And um, one sort of thing I I think you were sort of implying there was that part of the issue is that we have divorced the spiritual realm from God mm-hmm. so that we, you know, we get that sort of nice kind of, well... It's almost like sort of filling up your stomach on water or something like that. You mm-hmm. get the sensation that you've, you've had something that you haven't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we, we get, we sort of tickle that spiritual, you know, part of ourselves. But we do so in a way that maybe seems a little bit more manageable. It doesn't really require anything from us. Right. Is, is that kind of... But, yeah, but, but I think there's also maybe a danger too because if you don't have a sense, if you believe that these things exist, but you don't have a sense that there is a supremely good God who is above it, who can be trusted, mm-hmm. those things seem, I mean, pretty terrifying. Yeah, I mean, if you watch um, any of these paranormal shows, for instance, when they bring in a priest or um, a religious leader or anything like that, you'll very rarely get past the editing room floor with any talk about Jesus. They'll let you say God. They'll let you, you know, do that. But, but you won't hear that um, a lot, and that's on purpose. Um, because they don't want to offend anybody or, you know, if you're saying Jesus, man, then that's, you know, down in all the other religions and you're being an exclusivist and narrow-minded and bigoted towards, you know, this or that. Um, You'll offend the demons because the demons are inclusive. Right. But they they include enough, like you said, enough spiritual to make people feel good um, or feel like they've experienced something. Um, and I think that's what people are interested in. They want to experience the supernatural without the commitment the only problem is when you divorce it from Christ, um, you're experiencing supernatural, uh, but it's a very dangerous yeah. place to be. Well, it makes me think of the exorcists, uh, the professional exorcists in Acts. Uh, who, the seven sons of Sceva. Yeah, yeah. And they you know, even say, Paul I know and Jesus I know, but who, who you are. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and if you notice the phraseology they use there, uh, we were just studying this in our small group last night, was, was they say... In the name of this Jesus, Paul talks about, mm-hmm. we cast you out. So they didn't believe, yeah. and they're just trying to, to use an incantation almost to do this. Sure. And, um, you know, they get their 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 hind ends handed to them, man. Um, and I, I, I know it's weird, but I want to make like a Broadway musical out of this, because I think this scene is hilarious, um, you know, and would be very well translated into some kind of goofy off-Broadway production about the seven sons of Sceva. Um, and, you know, it's it's... It's amazing that these seven very religious people turn to almost a witchcraft idea of God mm-hmm. with, if I say the right words, then I'll be something. Uh, yeah. Something will happen. And the demons uh, are like, nope, not today. And the one guy beats the dog snot out of seven of them. They run out blind and bleed or naked and bleeding. And, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's a wild scene. Sure. But it was like they saw enough supernatural to want in on the action without the commitment. Sure. Well, it's, it's kind of like you know you, you can read. Uh, there, there's been a number of things that have survived from that era uh, as far as different incantations mm-hmm. that are supposed to remove demons or different kinds of uh, compo- things you can make. You know, grind up this chemical or, or this uh, this flower or whatever if you have this kind of demon. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> right. Or you know open a window when somebody dies so their spirit can leave otherwise they'll haunt you you yeah. know and that's still that holds true uh, when I was in Brazil that was a prevailing uh, belief when I went on a mission trip down there um, and so you know it's it's well there's almost like there's this notion that there's something mechanical that can be done that yes. you can be in control of the situation that as long as you do the X right. Y and Z 
this result will always happen. Right, and, and you know, the book of Acts talks about that you got Simon the sorcerer, and then Paul, the message of Paul in Ephesus causes a riot because he's assaulting the economy which was magic based and the mm -hmm. temple of artemis and artemis worship and you have this big book burning that happens and they're burning these really expensive spell scrolls and you know a lot of people don't understand when we talk about magic we're not talking about like the stuff that's on tv and making card tricks what we're talking about is something more sinister that was used in the ancient world to control or give you a sense of feeling of control of your environment in a very unpredictable world that's still what witchcraft is. That's still what the occult and all the pagan religions are, is an attempt to gain control and, and get your way in some way. And I will attest to you that those things do work in the demonic realm to get that. The problem people don't realize is there's always a collection date. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and that sounds really like esoteric and weird, but um, they're not just going to give you something for free. Okay, they're they're demanding. What does Jesus say in John ten ten? The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. So that's the ultimate goal. Mm -hmm. And as long as they can prolong you and hold on to you, they will. So, um, but it's even popular. People like to be possessed. Okay, mm -hmm. um, part of witchcraft and the occult is summoning. You know, the weird new age term is spirit guides or angel mm -hmm. councils. You know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, people actually want that. Mm -hmm. um, and you can't do anything for that. You know, you can't get rid of something that the person is intentionally doing on purpose. Okay. Um, and it's viewed as like super high spiritual. If you can channel your uh, spirit guide or channel this demon or summon this demon that he has to listen to you. And it's all a bunch of hogwash, man. It's all dangerous. And these people soon find that out. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of talking about this supernatural worldview that I think we... There are different ways that you know people will approach it. You know, sometimes they they believe in the supernatural, but not God. And in some cases, I think what we've sort of done in Protestantism post Enlightenment uh, is to sort of maybe do the opposite, where you know we're okay with one supernatural being, but we don't we kind of have a problem with a supernatural realm or you know mm -hmm. something to that effect. And and um, so, you know, it, it seems to me that, you know, a lot of Christians, especially Protestants, um, live as if demons don't exist. Mm -hmm. So I would ask you, are there dangers to that approach? And alternatively, is there a danger in attributing to them too much power or too much influence? Let me answer that backwards. Okay. Um, yes, there is a danger in that. Um, you know, uh, I've, I've heard it several times and I believe the, the saying is true. Uh, you know, Satan isn't hiding under every rock. He's hiding under every other um, you know, and, and there's a there's a danger in ascribing too much to to that because you know, a you become like some weird paranoid guy holed up in a bubble with on a compound with a bunch of guys, you know, waiting for the Antichrist to show up or whatever, and then they're gonna defend the world and be God's soldiers. Uh, you know, that's the extreme end of it. But when you over spiritualize common things, you you also open yourself up to a danger that you actually won't recognize it when it happens. Hmm. On the other side of that spectrum, ignoring it um, is also extremely uh, dangerous. I, I've had people, you know, in my congregation and, and all over say, well, I just prefer not to think about that because then it won't bother me. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, that's the old ostrich putting their head in the ground thing. Actually, that makes you much more um, susceptible to a lot of things, you know. Um, so there can be an unhealthy obsession with the supernatural and then there can be an unhealthy denial i think that the balance is in the middle um you know everything is spiritual we are spiritual and physical beings living in a physical world but also in a spiritual world of which we don't get the privilege to see very often um so it's easy to look for things that aren't there or you know to over see things that actually aren't there whether if, if that makes sense so the, the the smart at least my opinion is down in the middle there are spiritual things that happen that influence a lot of things all from the global scale of politics all the way down to your attitude I, there is a supernatural realm that can influence all of those things um whether it's 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 god or you know the enemy um or satan you know that's that's the thing uh, but um ignoring it doesn't do any good um and just believing oh there's one great supreme you know good god well you know if, if you believe in god you have to believe in in the enemy if you believe the bible mm -hmm. um or you know 
it's it's an interesting concept to to, to just ignore it, hmm. um, and I think that comes from fear because it's something that a all the popular mythology that's out there, like we talked about earlier, uh, feeds in that, that a demon's just going to jump out of a, a box and eat your soul, and you're going to like start you know hanging from the ceilings and eating you know people or something, um, and that's not how this this works. Um, but at the same time, when you ignore it. Um, you also open a door um, to not paying attention and, and burying your head in the sand when there are troubling spiritual things that you could pray against or not give into temptation-wise that could lead to a, a host of other problems. So it's a balanced approach to there are spiritual things that are affecting every part of our world, but let's not get obsessed with it and think everything is you know some kind of attack on us. Sure. Well, it, it seems like it's 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 the danger of the category error. Mm-hmm. There are different types of categories. There's, there, for example, there are spiritual things, and then there are physical things. And if you attribute one to the other, you know, <laughs> there there are certain dangers and, and misconceptions and, and solutions that you might try to find that aren't right. likely to work. And, and we're trained to do that, right? We compartmentalize everything in our lives. Like we have us, how we act at school, how we act at home, how we act in our marriage, how we act at work. Um, you know, all of these things. Uh, and it translates into our spiritual life that we compartmentalize and kind of, I call it, you know, put a waffle uh, in our life. We've got the little squares. Each thing is, is each. And so we don't want those to overlap. And when they do, um, you know, it, it causes a crisis of existence because that's not supposed to happen, right? It, it, nothing overlaps. I've got my nice little neat thing. But a, a lot of people will say, well, that's not spiritual. Or why would you pray for that? Or why, why would you concern yourself? That's not spiritual. Well, everything is spiritual. Okay, we live in a spiritual universe created by by a God who is spirit, um, and we are uh, given this, you know, the spirit of God if, if we're Christians. And, and so uh, we're made in the image and likeness of God, whether you believe in, the, in God or not, you know, um, every human is that that design. So we are spiritual beings at the very core of who we are. So you can't divorce the two. I agree you can't divorce the two. I think what I'm by sort of talking about making a category error is... If you, you know, attribute little Timmy's epilepsy to demon possession, or if you say, well, you know, this person doesn't need to be saved, they just, you know, they just need a, you know, a more, um, a more stable home life or something right. like that. You know, you, you can attribute, you know, while there, there are distinctions, even though they do interact with each other, that right. you can make between the two. Right. And, and that's the thing. You have to be very careful, um, especially in like a mental health or trauma situation, because people don't understand how powerful... Um, suggestion is mm-hmm. um and little timmy's epilepsy why is little timmy always afflicted with every poor little timmy right he's in a well he's got this he's got that but his epilepsy is always uh attributed to being seized by a demon and that's not the case um you know what little timmy needs is uh, medical attention to see what's happening mm-hmm. um but you know little timmy may have a stable home life but he's still having an epileptic seizure. Mm-hmm. We've got to take care of that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it is... That is not necessarily a problem in which an exorcism will even do any good. In fact, it could do more harm. Sure. Well, and this is maybe the, the sensationalistic part of the podcast, but I think it could be useful, mm-hmm. which is maybe what are some examples where you've seen where you felt demon possession was definitely what was going on as maybe a point of illustration to distinguish between that from something else that... Some might, someone might perceive as demonic possession. Okay, like, um, I was at another, uh, at a coffee shop down in Cincinnati, okay? Um, this, me and my friend had been studying scripture. He was a new Christian. We were just doing some discipling and, and learning and teaching him how to teach other people. Um, and this, this girl walks in and sits beside us. Um, and she kind of, I guess, was listening in. She's like, oh, you know, I've always wanted to study the Bible. I'm a, I'm a Jew. And I want to know what this, you know, what the New Testament says. So we're like, okay, come on over. And we start that. Um, and I guess I should add the, 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 the part about it that this coffee shop was a witchcraft coffee shop. Okay. Um, and, you know, they had the crystal altars and, you know, saging and smudging and, you know, tarot cards and things, events going on all the time. A weird place for uh, Christians to be studying the Bible, but what a better place. So this girl uh, starts studying with us, and, you know, usually when you start studying the Bible with someone, maybe you meet once a week. Well, she's calling and saying, can we meet again? Okay, and again and again, for about five, six days this goes on, me and my friend meet with her. And then we get to the part where we talk about, 
how Jesus is the word of God and you've got to understand what that means and then accept uh, his authority and things like that. And no joke, this girl looks directly at me, her eyes turn black, mm -hmm. and she goes, they're doing horrible things in the basement. Mm -hmm. And then she gets up and leaves. I call her, ask her if she wants what happened, if she wants to study some more, read the Bible, and she says, no, I'm, I never, ever want to touch that again. So, uh, me and my, my friend who is a new Christian, he was like, what just happened? And I'm like, you just saw Satan trying to steal someone away. And unfortunately, on that occasion, it worked. Mm -hmm. um, but come to find out, they were having a ceremony where they were summoning the uh, some kind of, of demon because it was the vernal equinox uh -huh. and you know or whatever kind of thing well, um so was, they wouldn't probably describe it as summoning a demon right right they would say they're spirit guide or something or, okay. um or you know whatever uh -huh. um, but they wouldn't take it that way but that's what they were doing uh -huh. um and so sensationalist things that uh i've seen it doesn't necessarily have to be sensational but i, I think oftentimes those stories are so bizarre that I think right. they're viewed that way the most sensational things come from the least suspected things, at least in my mm -hmm. opinion. Um, you know, Hollywood is expert at bringing out those. Now, there are Hollywood films that are actually very accurate. You know, you have The Exorcist, um, which is written by William Peter Blatty, um, who witnessed several exorcisms and wrote it in, in the 70s as seeing a need for for the, uh, our country that's turning away from God to see there is evil and it is real. And here's actually a, a story and it's based on the story of a boy um, in St. Louis um, and the well-documented events. And he was friends with the priest who performed the exorcism in that case. And so it is based on a true story, but given some creative liberties, but you know, what so I, the, the boys head spin around for, that's example. the sensationalism of Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, if your head spins around, you're going to die. Um, I have very, very big confidence that if you snap your neck, you will not live, uh, you know. And um, so, you know, there are a lot of things. The Exorcism of Emily Rose, another one that's spot on. It's it's based on a girl in, in Germany in the in the uh, 70s um, named Annalise Michael. Um, and it's kind of used as a case study of what not to do because she died. Mm -hmm. um, because, but in those two that Hollywood has that are pretty sensational movies... You know, a lot of that is pretty accurate. The spinning around of the heads, uh, things like that, um, not so much. Uh, vomiting, uh, levitating, um, objects being hurled, incredible strength. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's something I was, you know, our, whoever's listening can't see us, but we're pretty big fellas, tall, um, you know, big. I saw a guy that was larger than me be picked up by nothing I could see and thrown across a basement at like, 40 miles an hour. It was like the scene from the Avengers where Hulk smashes Thor through mm -hmm. a wall. Um, this was during an exorcism? This or? was during a is something here part. Oh. This wasn't even during. Uh, this was, we're looking to see if there's something here. Hmm. Um, and that was wild, man. <laughs> you know, you, you don't see that kind of thing. And you're like, where's the magic string here? Where's the Garth Brooks get up where they just tossed him into a wall, pulled a lever, but it wasn't there. Turned out there was something there. Um, and it was afflicting. That was also the thing, you know, I've seen people get scratched. Um, you know, um, I've seen demons names scratched into people and just appear. Um, I've seen people vomiting things and objects, um, that were used to put a hex or a curse on them, which a lot of people don't think, um, because in a lot of ceremonies, they use your hair or glass or nails. I've seen people vomit up glass, nails, um, the object that was used, and I know that sounds sensationalist, but it's for real, man, and mm -hmm. it's absolutely wild. Well, you told me something about the uh, the guy making the, the hatchets or the axes. Yeah, um, so there's this, this, that was my very first, like, um, time that anybody ever asked me to come look. Um, and so this guy was a very well-to-do man, um, very you know, could afford to have people do everything for him, had no handyman skills whatsoever. They moved into this smaller house to downsize, um, you know, and, and just kind of live like us, you know, peasants. Um, 
And all of a sudden, he developed this fascination with antique axes, and he just made axes. And he had axes everywhere. They were coming out of his car. They were He was stocking them up at work. They were in closets. They were under beds. Uh, and any time he left the house, um, after he would get rid of the axes wherever he put them, it would go away. But when he came home, that obsession returned, and his family was like, what in the world? You know, he's not even talking to us. He's acting straight. And so, you know, this this is a, a classic example of that demonic um, obsession oppression. That's more the mental part of it. Um, this guy um, was demonically oppressed to the point where he was having intrusive thoughts that were just commanding him to do this. Hmm. Um and so, you know, he made all these axes, and, and so that was the first time I ever did a house blessing, um, and we made that, that was kind of my initiation to actually, you know, doing it on my own, um, but the guy didn't have any problems after that, but hmm. um, we found out part of the problem was um, they were in the funeral business, uh -huh. and so they had access to a lot of things that people don't, and so they bought some monkey skulls from who knows where, mm -hmm. and on the bottom of one of the monkey skulls, there was some uh, pagan uh, runes and different things, and that was the source of the problem. It was an artifact. Yeah, yeah. and so because a lot of people don't understand, you know, even like Annabelle, um, demons attach themselves to objects, um, anything to keep them from having to wander around or possibly, you know, uh, you know, be without some kind of host to to steal and kill and destroy that's their mission right and so um they will attach themselves so annabelle has a lot of uh, factual um things that go along with it um the warrens uh ed and lorraine there's a lot that can be said about the legitimacy of all those things the amityville horror those kind of things like that but um there's a lot of people who call those things hoaxes and things like that um and you know i'm not an expert in that but you know uh, from what i've seen because there's at least a kernel of underneath it. Yes, there, there's something there that actually happened, and it's very well documented. Um, you know, one of the cool things about, you know, for whatever, since I'm a Protestant and, and so are you, I guess, um, for all the things we have against the Roman Catholic Church, they are incredible record keepers, right? And so there are records dating back millennia of, of how possessions and things like that and 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 exorcisms and um you have saint what they call saint benedict now he was the father of the monastic movement but um you know all the crucifixes that are used in exorcisms um have the medal of saint benedict on it which uh you know the latin escapes me but um and because i can barely speak english um <laughs> latin is a struggle but uh, basically it says may the may the cross the holy cross be my guide and let not the dragon um, lead me astray hmm. um, and then there's some other little things around it but um, that, that kind of are prayers emblazoned on this metal and so um, you know there's a lot of record keeping a lot of, of things that happened and, and those sensational things do happen but not to the extreme you know like when I teach this in a, in a class or something um, I have a video clip of like five of these movies and the exorcist and Annalise Michael um, or the exorcism of Emily Rose are on there uh, but then there's another one called The Last Exorcism, Constantine. And um, I forget the other one that it's just so lame. Um, but it's on there. And, and so I ask the class, which one of the, these do you think are real? And almost always they'll pick the most sensational ones, which aren't the true ones. You know, Constantine has this little thing he holds up with all these different little coins that hit the sun and burn the demon. And he traps them in mirrors and shatters them. And it's like, <laughs> come on, man. Um, so, you know, that's... The sensational part, and then Hollywood, you know, I don't know if, if I can say this, but they sex it up, mm -hmm. you know, to make it more appealing, because people want that extreme. They want to see someone attacked by a demon and then explode and blood shoot everywhere. Mm -hmm. But that, sure. that's not really what's going to happen. Sure. If it does, I'll be the first to run away. <laughs> like, not today. So, well, let's say that uh, I think someone I know might be possessed. <laughs> what, what would be some of the signs that I would look for in something like that to, to determine that? Um, okay, so some of the signs, say, again, you have to go, to go from the medical psychiatric route first. If the person has done that um, and, you know, they come back 
completely normal. Everything's good. All the levels, blood levels, enzymes, psychiatric evaluations are good. Then we can begin to look at the problem. Now, you look for, for things like an aversion to religious objects. Um, a person who uh, can suddenly speak a language that they could never know. Um, knowing things that they should never know. Um, you know, superhuman strength. Um, the ability to... Um, you know, move things, um, you know, phenomena around the home or wherever you are, you know, um, strange smells like uh, sulfur or um, rotting flesh is a popular one, <laughs> you know, you expect it from hell, I guess. Um, but, um, you know, temperature variations, um, a person's physical features can change on a dime and it's weird, like their face can actually change. Um, uh, eyeballs are, you know, looking into the eyes um, is a good way. Um, and, and, you know, I do some tests. You know, I have a vial of two vials. I have holy water in one and fake in the other, and both are marked holy water. So if I throw the fake one on and they start acting up, I'll be like, see you later. Right? That's my go-to. If, if that doesn't happen and I hit it with the other um, and they react uh, violently or complain about burning or get coughing or choked up, hmm. maybe we'll have another uh, a thing going on here. Um you know, uh, usually it just manifests in an aversion to religious language or religious items or religious places, um, you know, like churches or anything, you know. And I know um, the church is not anything more, a church building is a that of the building. What makes it holy are the believers gather there, right? Um, and that's my theology of it. But there's still an aversion to it for what it's associated with. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's all kinds of, of things, you know, placing... Um, a small crucifix or a cross in your hand and putting it on the shoulder somewhere where they can't see it um, and then they're having a violent reaction. Hmm. It's t kind of a thing. Um, saying prayers, getting the person to say Jesus is Lord. Um, those kind of things are some of the things I would do. Um, but again, you know, the, to actually have a person um, possess a rare, what usually is is an infestation. For instance, I was in uh, a, it was actually a candy shop in another city um, they had been having in broad daylight customers being hit with objects and violent. I mean, this this is crazy stuff like candy being thrown across the room and you know horrible smells and and things breaking and screams and growling and this is in broad daylight during business hours and so uh, you know they they called us up and so the first time I went there you know I got a weird feeling um, just kind of doing investigating you know recording some things seeing if I uh, you know get anything you know that I couldn't hear while in the in the moment there but you know while i was there i had physical whispers and you know tingling sensations and and sometimes it's hard to not let that happen and be unbiased because you know you're going into a place where people think there's something going on so it suggests to you you're kind of in that mode so you have to kind of be really unbiased and, and, and record stuff and go back later after you've processed it and really think it through and pray it through well it turns out on this one there was something um there and so we went back uh, I went back with a few of my friends about a month or two ago and we did a property exorcism um, we did it the, the candy store was on the bottom there's an old apartment on top and um, the old apartment on top w was where a lot of the suspected activity was and so we were able to get the demon to give us his name and once you get the name um, that's when you can start making progress. But it takes a long time to get there, and that's a whole other process for a whole other, you know, uh, show if you want to go there. Um, but um, as soon as we began doing the uh, the the property exorcism, um, the lower level below filled with this rotten flesh filling smoke smoke filled it like we you know they have it the shop owner was down there cause she's like i'm gonna be up there while you're doing this and another guy from the the group we were with was down there with her and they were you know praying and stuff and all of a sudden like this rancid smoke starts pouring out from the ceiling you know mm. and there's no explanation of it and then while we're doing it doors start slamming and the, the floor is shaking the temperature drops you know we have a thermometer thing there um and it's blaring because the temperature has dropped like 12 to 18 degrees in less than three seconds um and so you know there's people you know there's hair standing up there's objects slamming there's as sensational as that sounds uh, that's you know but then it's pretty amazing because you it's called the liberation phase and you demand a sign the demon will leave and there's usually like a bright flash or there's a pop or something smashes and then 
it's pretty amazing that the atmosphere completely changes and there's this like it's like that scripture where Paul says the peace of God that transcends all understanding literally mm-hmm. comes upon and so you know I always check back at a week later two months later you know and six months later and a year later with folks and this lady keeps calling me saying I you know my business has never been better mm-hmm. I'm not afraid to go to work anymore nothing is happening here mm-hmm. um, and I've got a lot more customers and you know, it's just a joy to go to work again instead of being scared that I'm going to get hit or, you know, an oven's going to fall on me or, you know, customer's going to get thrown through a window or down the stairs, you know, and she says that just isn't there. So, you know, there's a lot of investigation work that goes into it. But when it's when it happens, um, you know, there's a lot of things that go on with it. And usually you can do a property um, in one shot, but a person is, is, can sometimes take 50 plus sessions. Um, I've never had that, but I, you know, I've known, I have associates and friends who, and read a lot of case studies where people have, um, you know, and so, you know, the person one is a lot more difficult. Um, The property one is a little more easy to take care of, I guess, let, let God take care of. So, Hmm. you know, that's just, you know, things I look for is phenomenon, you know, materialization of things, shadow people. Um, knocking doors, opening and closing, things looking rustled around, you know, windows breaking, you know, things being thrown. So a pretty good indicator something is going on. And most people attribute that to ghosts. I don't think ghosts are real. Um, you know, I think that demons masquerade as that because it begins to call into question what happens after we die. Um, you know, and so that's that's kind of where I am on that. So... Um, but those are some of the ways, you know, there's a whole lot more that happens in a whole lot longer time periods, but that's a crash course in what happens to lead to that climax of a, of a property or a person exorcism. Um, what you'd said um, about demons wanting to attach themselves to physical things or people um, kind of brought to mind a question. There, there seems to be some sense of orders or types of mm-hmm. angels as well as demons. Mm-hmm. And that uh, scripture seems to point to, uh, well, for example, uh, Psalm 82, mm-hmm. where it talks about sort of the divine council. Divine council. Yeah, you have these these various... Super friends. Divine, yeah. <laughs> divine beings or angelic beings mm-hmm. that have authority over nations. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, you do have this sort of uh, ancient rebellion that takes place. But some have suggested that the demons that are involved in possession specifically maybe are those Nephilim looking to be re-embodied again. Mm-hmm. And... and that seems to be how the intertestamental literature treats them. Mm-hmm. It's not clear to me that that's how the New Testament treats the issue. Right. Um, so the Nephilim, you know, it's that part in Genesis, I think it's six, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we find that these fallen angels, um, or actually the book of Enoch alludes to this being a second fall of angels where the sons of God know the daughters of men or whatever, and they apparently have these demigod offsprings and so people lend that even i've heard to the greek titans mm-hmm. um that that's who these are um they were or, 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 that, or that they're telling similar stories right, right? they both right there's some, some primordial kind of, yeah an overlapping theme that's throughout culture like the global flood narrative and things like that um but so the idea is that that you know could have been a second fall of angels and and since they have free will that that can make sense um you know, I, I really don't think that demons, there was enough Nephilim, at least, and again, I'm always open to your own. This is my opinion. Read your Bible and study and pray, um, you know, on your own. I'm just a guy. But um, I, it doesn't seem like God let that go on long enough to amount to the numbers of which, you know, we have. And, and so when you're talking about, like, the orders of things, and, and classic Christian theology ancient you know early early church father theology right after the new testament you have what's called the nine choirs of angels mm-hmm. um, and it's a structure i don't believe there are nine uh choirs but um you know it's just an organizational pattern um and so what we learn through demons and through scripture is that anything god does satan is going to mimic in the in an evil way mm-hmm. right so there are orders of angels there are archangels there's cherubim there's seraphim there's messengers um there's um you know those things and they are um they all have different roles um same with demons paul calls them the powers and principalities um the uh evil forces in the heavenly realms um you know we see i guess maybe the greatest example of all of those interacting is in daniel where daniel is having this fast and he prays and 21 days go by i think um 
And finally an angel comes and says, your prayer was answered the instant you prayed it. But I had to get through the prince of Persia and I was not strong enough. So I had to call Michael, the archangel, to come in and fight the prince of Persia, which is not the bad Jake Gyllenhaal movie. I wish they would have fought that. Um, but it's, it's a you know, they're given dominion. And I think that explains... And, and prince And prince is, is not, not the physical prince of Persia, right. the human prince. but Right. Yeah. The spiritual, he's, he's in charge of that area. Just like certain angels have dominion over like archangels or cherubim are the much more uh, fighting warrior gods. If you remember that they're, that's what's placed at the Garden of Eden with the flashing sword to guard their entrance back in. Uh, seraphims are often seen um, as the, um, you know, in a military context, especially in like the conquest of the promised land, but also in the worship context. Um, you know, and so then you have the messengers like Gabriel and different things like that. And then you just have uh, their, uh, you know, the, I don't know what you want to call them, the plebeians of, of angeldom um, who just kind of are around and are, you know, protect people like the kind that Hebrews talks about who, who, who knows if we've entertained angels without even knowing, you know, they're there, they're working for God. And according to Hebrews, they're ministering spirits sent to serve those. Uh, children of God, which, you know, is a pretty incredible thing. And I think part of that holds the reason Satan rebels, right? Because like David writes, you know, we are lower than angels. And what is man that you would think of him? And so God has this plan. But, but yet we've been placed above Right. We, we have this soul. The angels were not given that. Um, God did not die to save the angels. Um, you know, God died to save us. We are his, the crowning jewel of creation. And it says this is very good you get into this idea of of these angels that are there and deceiving and uh, turning away from God and, and doing things differently. So it's almost a mocking uh, of everything God does. And, and if you remember in Revelation, um, which is also, a, you know, I call what was it sensationalized the left behind the oh, books sure. yeah the only thing left behind and left behind was the bible great story horrible theology um and so you find that sensationalism playing in here um with angels and demons or frank uh Freddy. frank Peretti's, uh the, this present darkness mm -hmm. it's a good idea and i think it's awesome but it's almost the idea of like we're holding up moses arms you know you know and the more if we stop praying that the enemy will prevail and that's um, I, I, I don't think that's always how that works. And so, you know, it's a lot of sensationalism and belief in who these demons are and they chose to rebel against God and they, they did that. So if I get to heaven and I'm wrong on that, I'm not going to stomp out and say, no, yeah, you know, but was, uh, you know, and then I just lost my train of thought. So my that's, that's okay. Well, so <laughs> you talked a little about the Prince of Persia and Daniel, uh, talked about Psalm 82 and the count, the, the divine council, mm -hmm. um, I wonder kind of how you... It seems to me that there's this thread running throughout um, the scripture that, that places demonic forces uh, behind political power or, or somehow somehow connected. There's some interactions there. It uses some of the same language. So like powers and principalities you discussed mm -hmm. is a language that is sometimes applied to demonic powers mm -hmm. in the New Testament. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's applied to political forces and sometimes it's not clear. And so there's this kind of strange interaction, interweaving mm -hmm. that happens in scripture. I, would, I didn't know how, how you thought about, how I will, thought about that. I will suggest that it's always, at least in my understanding, in reference to the demonic influence over worldly powers. I, I'm not sure it's ever interchangeable with not a spiritual power. I believe Paul was using it in... Well, I think Paul, um, but there's, there's a, I think at least maybe a place in Matthew or Mark where uh, powers and principalities... I, I could be mistaken, but I think it, there's one place, like in, in the Gospels at least, where it refers to just political powers. Um... And you could be, I can't remember right now, and I, I could, you know, um, but mostly in Paul's writing and in the, in the later, the apostles' writing and things like that, from, from what I understand, there's never a distinction. It's always talking about evil entities, demonic entities that are uh, capable of deluding um, people and creating a system. Um, you know, Brian Zahn in his book, um, A Farewell to Mars, um, an incredible a book. I don't know if you've read it or not. I have, um, but I'm familiar with Zahn. And so um, he he talks about this idea of 
the demonic influence of the crowd and the demonic influence over politics and nationalism and and uh, you know one of the things he talks about is is you know the the first act of humanity outside of the garden is murder mm -hmm. you know and that we are a civilization that has been tainted and built on that and we carry out like Jesus says in John eight um, he says you are not children of God but you are you know children of you do your father's will and he's talking about Satan mm -hmm. and and so. Uh, we are a people who, even subconsciously or for power or for what, you know, it, and it's funny because it's a, 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 a Wiccan or a witchcraft term, the greater good, right? Uh, we will do a whole lot of things that we think are good at the time, right? Um, but it influences and it enables people to go into power. I, I think we've seen this uh, firsthand in the political cycle we just went through. I mean... That was an absolute dumpster fire of hatred, um, you know, and, and we see this happening and, and, you know, it's like, how did we get here that these are the two best options we can find in, in 317 million people? These are the two that we're going to run with. And, and you see the hatred and you see the things that go on in the world and even history like, you know, uh, Nazi Germany, um, Soviet uh, Russia and the USSR, Mao's China, right now North Korea, uh, Cuba, all those ideologies that w seem to work for the greater good, but completely just destroy people. Um, and... So I think that the the demonic, you know, when we talk about like the Prince of Persia, the principalities and powers, uh, the the things in the spiritual realm and the heavenly realms, this present evil um, that Paul talks about and that the other apostles allude to, um, is is completely um, a spiritual battle um, in which people, I think, knowingly and unknowingly, are swept up in doing an anti-God thing, and if you if you look at the, the believers' first church prayer meeting in Acts, you know, they quote one of the Psalms and they said, uh, Oh, sovereign Lord, why do the people rage and the nations, you know, plot in vain? Or, you know, if I have that wrong, I apologize. You know, they raised their hand against the Lord's anointed. You know, that was going on then. And the, the first Christians saw that. They saw Rome as this antichrist entity um, that was controlled not by God, but by the enemy. And, Jesus even shows us this in his temptation, right? Like Matthew 4, he's in the gar in the wilderness and um, he gets tempted by Satan. Um, and one of the most fascinating things to me is Satan says, it says, and Satan shows him all the kingdoms of the world and says, if you will bow down and worship me, I'll give you these. Well, in order for him to say that, he has to have ownership over them. Well, actually what he specifically says after that is because they've been given to me yes. and I have the was it, I have the authority to, to determine, give them to you. To give them to you yeah. And so Paul alludes to that because he calls Satan the god of this world, lowercase g, obviously. But um, So there's something there, and Jesus refused to bow to that system, um, that, you know, this power structure, this idea. And I think uh, the demonic actively influences a whole lot of what happens politically, uh, nationally, even locally, um, in my city of Middletown um, that I, I live in right now. Um, several years ago, Forbes magazine labeled it the absolute worst city in America. Um, and we are the center of the opiate uh, epidemic. Um, we have, uh, there was a period about a year ago where they had to bring in mobile morgues to keep up with the death of people. We'd be sitting in drive throughs and it'd be taking forever. You'd wonder why somebody overdosed in the drive through mm -hmm. You find people pumping gas, dying with a needle in their arm. Uh, people dropping their kids off at school, dying of an overdose in the lobby with all these kids around. Uh, you know, and at face value, yeah, it's an addiction and it's a systemic problem, but I also believe it to be a spiritual problem. And over the past three years, all the churches, I think, have finally woken up and uh, begin praying against that uh, together, regardless of denomination or whatever, and recognize that this is the enemy. It's, you know, um, wreaking havoc. And so for the past three or four months, we have had a drastic decline for the first time in over a decade of, of, of opiate overdose deaths. Hmm. Uh, there was a time, I think, when it was like every five hours someone in our city was dying. Uh, you know, I know a, of a person who, who has been, you know, in, in Middletown, they sell Narcan um, in the CVS drugstores. And you don't have to have a prescription. You can go in and buy it mm -hmm. because it was so bad that they were like, we have to get this in the hands of people. Um, you know, and and so 
we realized, hey, there's something nasty going on here. And, you know, the economic downturn of the city, the financial ruin of the city, okay. um, well, that, that all was, of that. Yeah, that was the book Hillbillyology. Yes. That was really and, and, of course, J.D. Vance, right? And he's yeah. a Middletown uh, graduate, I guess, would be the right, uh, whatever he is. Um, but, you know, and his portrayal is accurate, but he takes it from a not spiritual. He takes it from a political. Yeah. So it actually lends itself to even show you even more how demonic the system could be and, and when it takes hold and puts people in a specific place and way, um, you know, and, and I enjoyed the book. It helped me understand things a lot better. Um, and even growing up in West Virginia in that same context, just a different city, helped me understand a little bit more why people act the way they do. But I think that people are sucked into that environment, not by... Um, political things um, on their own. I think the political things are influenced by the evil things. Yeah. Um, you know, keep the people fat and happy and and they won't revolt, right? Sure. Keep them entertained. Um, but I do think demons influence everything politically and worldwide, even down to local governments and personal decisions. So, so we, 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 we've kind of run the gamut. We've talked a little bit about temptation. We've talked about possession. We've talked about the political influence. I mean, for, for people who maybe have listened to this and haven't really thought about the demonic that much and now they're maybe a little anxious, um, <laughs> what, 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 what's, a, what's a positive takeaway? What's, what's something that you would leave as far as, um, I don't know, something we'd want to come away with and that might be helpful or positive or, or encouraging or whatever? Hmm. Because it's such a topic that's shrouded in negativity, it's hard to think, but... I think the ultimate takeaway is, is Jesus is Lord. Um, he is the one that's at the helm of the universe. That uh, you know, like the the old hymn says, "No power of hell nor scheme of man can ever pluck me from His hand." Um, Jesus is on the throne, running the universe, rightfully as His Lord. And no matter what the enemy does, no matter what evil you're experiencing, or or temptation, or you know problems, you know um, that. Jesus is Lord, and one day, um, you know, I think we have the temptation to live this out in some kind of like, uh, let's sit by and have like hyper-violent fantasies of the end of the world, where, um, you know, um, Jesus will come and grab us after he, you know, kills everyone, right? Um, and then judges the world, and we'll all go to this ethereal place, float on clouds and stuff. But the present reality is, is, is God's D-Day was the birth of Jesus. His victory was the resurrection. And we live in that place where we're building the kingdom now that will come and a resurrection and renewal of the entire earth. And that all of this evil um, is, is not going to win. Um, in fact, it's already been judged. Um, Jesus even says that on the, at the Last Supper. He says, the, the prince of this world has been judged. Sure. He has no hold on me. We, we, we follow the Savior who commanded the demons in a word. Mm -hmm. And and actually, and that, that language as well is, I think, picked up in mm -hmm. Paul. Where there, there's this reality in which that God has already, G, G, through Jesus, God has already judged the powers and principalities. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's the takeaway is Jesus wins. He is Lord. And, you know, a lot of there's a lot of misconceptions about... Um, exorcism and demon possession and again full on person possession is so rare um, it is absolutely rare I deal more with infestation you know typical haunted house type things that people would call it um, but you know exorcism is not like this magic formula all it literally is is reading scripture and prayers um, and you know in my car I, right now I have the orthodox rite of exorcism um, and a lot of people are like, well, why do you use that? It's just like some ritual. Well, A, I'm not going to go in there and make up my own thing. When this has worked, I'm not even going to try that, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but when you look at it, um, when you look at the ritual or the Roman rituale, which is the official uh, Catholic, Roman Catholic um, text on it, um, it's literally just prayer and scripture. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the positive thing is we live with a God who is not just content with being an absentee landlord, but wrote down the greatest story ever told that we get to read and, and be a part of and be active and that he wins and that that is the weapon, the sword of the spirit. You know, we talk about the spiritual armor that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6. The word, how does Jesus defeat Satan in Matthew 4? Quoting scripture, mm -hmm. right? Prayers, fasting, it's up there. And so... Um, 
God wins, and all we need is the Word, who is God, Jesus, and so uh, we have that ability. And so uh, I, I caution people, you know, I'm, I'm very much a Protestant um, to the core, I guess, um, but I caution people to just jump in and try and start fighting demons. You need to learn a little bit about it, because you can become one of the seven sons of Sceva, but wait, there's more, and you can be possessed and dragged to hell, um, you know, those kind of things, but you need to take a little time, and I, just like there are spiritual gifts that Paul talks about in Romans, and, and, in, the, and in the letter of 1 Corinthians, and talks about that, there are people that are gifted with the discernment of spirits, and the ability to do these kind of things, not that that makes them any better, there's like a clergy, clergy laity structure, um, but that some people have those gifts, and some people don't, mm -hmm. um, and so my, to my more charismatic audience, I guess, I would say be very careful at what you're doing. Yeah. Um, because, yes, you are covered in the blood of Christ. Yes, you are a priest of God. But you need to exercise the grace, as Peter calls it, given you and the gifts God has chosen to give you and you alone to fulfill your purpose. And that may not be um, trying to take on the, the hordes of hell. <laughs> You know, um, and and so maybe you're a better clerical worker or musician or whatever. Um, but exercise caution with this. This is not something to play around with um, because I've seen it just destroy people, hmm. you know. Um, but ultimately, God wins, and that's my takeaway. So if somebody wanted to learn a little bit more about what you do, is there like a website, blog, something like that? Yeah. Um, I have a blog, um, that I'm not the greatest with, but at least, you know, my archives on there talk, I have a whole thing on demonology, but it's, um, www.oldsoultheology.com old with an E on it. Oh. Um, and, um, so it's really, really is old. Then. Yeah. And it's got kind of cool little, you know, old people fonts. Um, but it's old soul and in the archives, there is a five part series on, uh, you know, it's called a, an exceedingly brief introduction to demonology and spiritual warfare, where I cover a lot of that stuff a little more in depth, you know, um, you know, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, um, you know, Scott Johnson, zero one five on Twitter, um, you know, you can follow me, you can email me from there. I'm not going to give that out on a, on a podcast, but, uh, you know, and if any of your listeners have any issues and, and they're around the area or just need some help, you know, um, I'm more than happy to do so. I never charge a penny for my services, um, you know, so it's not like a, a fee-based thing, but that's how to get a hold of me. And, you know, um, you can go to our website, crosspointcoc.org. Uh, you can listen to my sermons if you want or... Um, you know, anything like that, you can drop a line through there. Whatever, um, those are the plays to get a hold, learn a little more about me, and um, all that good stuff. Thank you, Scott. Thank you.